Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you are following us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will find us at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn at that same username at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, take a moment to stop by RadioIslam.com. You'll really be... Uh, surprised and pleased with all of the great info that you're going to find there and only there. So that's RadioSlam.com. All right, family, uh, we are in election season. We've got a, a huge election coming up in the city of Chicago, uh, but not only for the uh, mayoral race, but we also have a, uh, aldermanic elections that are also going on. And that is nothing uh, to sleep on. So we are happy to have joining us by phone an aldermanic candidate running for the 50th ward seat, Zehra Qadri. Uh, and she is running, as I said, for the 50th ward. So we welcome her to Radio Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. So you are running uh, for the 50th ward, but unlike uh, unlike some folks who kind of just, just, they just jump up and decide that they're going to, uh, they're just going to run. Um, you come from a position where you have been providing services uh, to the residents of the 50th Ward for a number of years. Uh, you're the creator of ZAMS Hope uh, Community Resource Center, and that's been in existence, uh, looks like, for almost for almost 20 years now. Yes, it's true. Very true. So uh, could you tell us first about how that experience, because you've... Um, says you've provided uh, after-school activities for children, emergency food distribution, nutrition education, senior citizen services, uh, and, and and there's more, you know, and more uh, that goes along with what you've uh, provided for the residents of the 50th Ward. And you've done that um, without any concern for whatever boxes people may pick off of or check off on, you know, uh, when it comes to identifying themselves. You've basically provided services um for whoever needed those services. How did that come about? It's a very long story, but very <laughs> short. <laughs> so I just want to tell you that, um, you know, I faced some challenges, personal challenges, and then me and my daughter decided to help communities who's, you know, facing the same challenges. Then we opened up a not-for-profit organization called ZAMS Hope. Z stand for my name, Zehra, Aisha, and Maria, my two daughters, and my oldest one came up with this name. And uh, yes, yes. So it's just like an after school program. I know our mission is really very wide and we don't want to say no to anything. We can refer people. But right now we really need to, especially for past 19, 20 years, Mm -hmm. we are serving community for different needs. And there's no place where people can go ask for, you know, little small thing or big thing. You know, they need some support. It's a new country they're coming in. And there's no positive option for people. It's a language barrier. So we try our best to comfort anybody. And we are not only supporting uh, Muslim community. This We are serving humanity. Mm. And uh, so we have after-school programs, services for seniors. You know, people coming, they're receiving mail. They really don't understand language. So we're trying to translate. You know, whatever small things, we are ready to help, you know. And after that, you can see we are serving now more than 5,000 clients, and they are coming from all over. Actually, we have clients from Schaumburg, you know, Skokie, Lincolnwood, Chicago. We don't have any boundaries, actually, you know, so we are serving. And and again, we started very small, and uh, now community businesses, leaders, and different organizations see what we are doing so they are offering in-kind donations as well as zakat, sadqa, you know, and uh, regular donation from non-Muslim communities. So we are very lucky to have support from one another. Mm. And that's how we grow. And then, uh, you know, my passion is to provide options to people. There is no direction, basically, you know, for newcomers or, you know, anyone else who wants to improve their life. So we do have, and we have very good relations with city, state, and federal level where we learn about programs and 
teaching people, like putting some educational workshop for different needs that people are looking for, how you can get involved. And I really want to see our community and and, uh, members going uh, for higher job position. You know, Mm -hmm. we want to see people sitting, you know, just like instead of just working, Dunkin' Donuts, you know, for example, or driving Uber, stuff like that. But we want to see people get some education. We need to learn about system. We have to be part of the positive side. You know, we have to be, we have to improve our lives. So uh, I'm very lucky uh, to have everyone's support and serving after 19 years. You know, I really want to do more. I want to leave a legacy. And for doing that, you need influence and resources. Mm -hmm. So that's why I am running. I want to serve more. And uh, at the same time, I was assistant budget director with Cook County government. I was uh, under management team with uh, property taxes assessor's office. Cook County government. I was uh, I was the manager for civil lawsuits. I, I work at juvenile justice division as an assistant chief deputy clerk, and I see, uh, you know, it's just like there's so much need. We really need to educate parents. It's heartbreaking when you see little kids sitting in a jail. You know, we need to educate parents. Parent was coming and saying, "Oh, you can keep our kids here." You know. It's just like, no, mm-hmm. we need to change. It's very sad situation. And that's why we just see problem and we see improvement, how we can improve. And I saw problems like 20 years ago and I created, uh, we created basically a beautiful not-for-profit organization. Right now we have commercial kitchen. We have services for seniors. You name it, we do non-stop educational work, uh, workshops. Education is very important. It's a key for success. Let and me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Zahra. Do you, uh, because your organization, because Zam's Hope um, is an organization that doesn't have boundaries and you've done, uh, it sounds like, just a phenomenal job in being able to continue to expand uh, your capacity and and being able to reach out and empower empower folks. When it comes to the 50th Ward, uh, Mm. dealing with uh, a space, a geographical location that does have boundaries, could you tell us a bit about, uh, especially those who might be listening that are that live in the 50th work, could you tell us a bit about what uh, what are some of the, uh, the, the the distinguishing characteristics of the 50th ward? Because, you know, if you go across the city, you know, there's there's there are subtle differences uh, between all of the wards and some similarities. But what are some of the things that makes the 50 ward 50th ward uh, unique? Okay, actually, 50th Ward, you know we have uh, a diversity here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, 50th Ward, we have talented individuals here, you know. And we are, uh, you know, working with police department, but we have problems as well at the same time. And I'm a DAC committee, district advisory committee for past 15 years. So we just want to make sure that uh, 50th Ward actually... uh, you know, is a huge improvement we can do uh, mm-hmm. and uh, working with people. Uh, second is just, uh, you know, this we have refugees, family coming in. We need to educate, uh, you know, families and youth programs. Uh, our boundaries of 50th Ward is basically from Kesey to Ridge and Peterson to Howard. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, you know, like, like I said, uh, people coming from different walk of life, you know, and our job is to serve no matter where they're coming from. And improvement, like I said, we have very talented individuals. And I do apologize when you were talking and asking. Uh, we didn't have a good uh connection so if you don't mind if i'm not covering so you you can feel free to repeat your question and i can continue answering <laughs> thank you so much but that's a problem that's no problem i think you, you and your, your answer was uh was was definitely appropriate uh to the question i was just asking about some of the distinguishing features and you mentioned the diversity and the um mm-hmm. and then also some of the uh, aspirations that you have as far as working with police uh to make sure that uh that the community is being properly served um, mm-hmm. As somebody who has a who has a a verifiable background uh, in community service, uh, but also mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned, you have a background also uh, in working within the system. Um, 
within mm-hmm. the municipal or county system. Um, could you talk a bit about how you, you know, in your estimation, if you were outside of you looking at you, um, how would you see your, uh, would you be convinced already? Because, <laughs> you know, that this is the person for the, uh, for the job, because you have this, you, this mix of, of, of both walks of life and, uh, and both, um, both uh, tracks as far as service is, is concerned. Do you think that that's something that most people are going to automatically uh, gravitate to? And, and well, I should say, have 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 folks gravitated towards that um, as you've gone around talking to people? Just want to tell you that I'm already doing the job. Right. Basically, for the past <laughs> nineteen years, I just need. Uh, I just need to make it official, basically. You know, <laughs> that's all I'm trying the, the to, unofficial to say. Order I'm woman. trying to do. <laughs> yes, yes. And then, uh, just wanna, you know, it's like there's so much we all can do. Okay, like for example, aldermen receive 1.4 million dollar. Okay, mm-hmm. we don't even see those dollar amounts. Okay, so her number one priority is to beautify Divan Street, beautify Divan area. And my number one priority is to make sure that our citizens, 50th Ward residents, are comfort zone. Means they have enough food to eat. Right. They have enough money or in income coming in for paying their utilities, rental, and basic needs. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is my number one priority, not beautifying its teeth. And we had a conversation the other day. We had like four shooting in our area within last two weeks. Okay, mm-hmm. he voted against mental health program clinic, and two of them was uh, mentally health challenge. You know, so these are the services that community not receiving. Residents, we don't have that, and this is my number one priority. Mm-hmm. So. I cannot make any decision. I cannot make any changes. So when I am serving as an alderman, we already have funding. $1.4 million is a lot yearly basis, to be honest with you, to set up all these programs. And when I'm in the office, my number one commitment is that nobody is going to sleep hungry, okay? Mm-hmm. When your stomach is full, you have enough income coming in and you are comfortable, then community or resident can feel comfortable, actually, and pay attention. And we have positive options. You know, we will be busy with positivity not negativity Mm. and nobody is even for example we have senior citizens in 50th ward and we do have many many senior citizens who only receive 25 dollars per month as a food stamp 80 dollars food stamp as uh, you know per month and this this is like a government benefit Mm. honestly you can think 80 dollars or 25 dollars is enough for uh for for the whole month Mm -mm. it's not no not at all so, so people facing challenges, okay, we need to comfort first. I'm not saying that we will be giving $500 here and there for food stamps, something like that. We can find resources, okay? We can place beautiful program. There's so many charities, not-for-profit organizations in our area, but nobody's receiving any federal dollar. Nobody's receiving grants. So mm-hmm. when I'm sitting as an alderman, I will be bringing resources, and I brought personally uh, to Zamshope over a million dollars as a grant money, you know, for improvement. Mm. So when I am right now just working as an assistant executive director, you know, imagine what I cannot do when I'm in the office, when I have influence and resources. So I will be bringing, first step is going to be, again, make sure citizens are okay, they have enough. And if it's not, then we can find, uh, we can find a job, you know, we can create jobs. But like I said before, we have very talented community here, very diverse community, very talented. We can definitely do positive things in our area. We have so many storefronts, vacant buildings, you know, we can go ahead and create programs in there. And then not-for-profit organization, out of $1.4 million with Democratic voting, we can, we can spend dollar uh, with our, you know, ward resident. They can go ahead and make a decision. I want to give power back to the community 
and the re- residents. And, uh, you know, we can hire grant writers. We can bring more dollars in for the board. This is my no- number one approach, actually, to make sure that we're okay. Safety is an issue in our area. You know, it's just uh, education is not. After school programs, community services, we are lacking. We, we don't have any mental health program here, people facing challenges. So I will be doing this more, and I can do it easily when I'm in the office. So right. please, everyone, listeners, please keep me in your prayers and also, you know, requesting that if, if people can come out, make some phone calls, you know, for to make our dream come true here. And I'm not running only for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am running for community benefit. Let, and I'm trying to achieve community mission and goals together. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, because I, I I saw that you recently uh, received a pretty high-profile endorsement uh, in the uh, Secretary of State, uh, Jesse White, uh, mm-hmm. and I saw that he recently endorsed you. Um, how, how significant is that for you that someone um, who has been in uh, the public eye for so many years is is aware of the work and the value uh, that you bring and you represent. How significant is that to to have that endorsement? I am very lucky and thankful, actually, that Secretary of State Jesse Wright endorsed me because he knows what I have been doing. And he was our chief guest for many, many years, you know, coming and working very closely. And you know he's running not-for-profit organization as well. He knows, uh, you know, it's just like there's a need. And he is, I mean, he's, he's our leader and he's my hero. He is guiding me and he guided me before for not-for-profit. Now he is, I'm learning a lot from him for, you know, under political umbrella, you can say yeah. that uh, I am, he's, he's guiding me. So uh, I'm very lucky. And honestly, when people see a picture in do- endorsement, you are lucky to have his. And I'm not looking uh, under that because right now, First of all, you know I got two challenges, right? Mm-hmm. So I spend my time and our dollar amount, you know, just to win those uh, challenges. I burned my time. I didn't have enough time for marketing. And second, is we are uh, here in Illinois, and you know Illinois politics, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is very tough for me to make. Uh, on the ballot, number one, and I'm very thankful who signed my petition to 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 me be on the ballot and 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 thank God for uh, the donors who donated some dollars for my legal services. So I'm facing some challenges, and plus our immigrant community, honestly, they are not really they they don't have any interest, you know. Mm. So we have to do again educational workshop and seminars that you have to get involved. Mm-hmm. We have to be part of the system instead of part of the problem. So I am teaching, I'm telling community, this is very important. And this is good. And I, I really want to be an alderman for all, not only for Indian or Pakistani or one particular area. I will be serving everybody like I, I, I have been serving for over 19 years. Humanity, not just the 50th Ward or not just uh, Indian or Pakistani you know, community. So I, I have been doing this, and I really want to do more. Like I said before, this is my mission. This is my dream. I really want to leave a legacy. And, um, and again, it's easy to do it when we right. all get together. We have to be together no matter what. We have to work together. And being like a small, you know, it's like we have more than 3,200, 3,700, uh, you know, our own people register people, so our base is really strong. Mm-hmm. And if we all just come out and vote, then honestly, it is a win-win situation for all. Do you think your? Um, well, I shouldn't say. Do you think uh, it's an inspiration? I, I think there's your story is very much the American story. Um, but I wonder if you are kind of surprised looking at yourself now. Uh, looking at the work that you've done over the past 19 years with Zam's uh, Hope uh, and now running for uh, the aldermanic seat of the 50th Ward, could you have seen this for yourself when you came to the U.S. uh, from India in 87 that you would be at this point now um, 
uh, aspiring, looking, looking for public office after having spent almost two decades in service to, like you said, not just Indians and Pakistani, but to uh, just to, to humanity in general. Is this something that you could have seen or that you would have thought that would have been the case for you? Oh, my God. I'm telling you, I had like a personal attack uh, four years ago. That's why I decided to run. You know, mm -hmm. this is very hard to do and is a challenge, basically, you know, and uh, and it's just God is great and everything for a reason. And I face uh, I mean, I, I have been facing challenges all my life since I came to United States. Mm -hmm. But again, United States, I mean, you can make uh, your dream come true here by working hard. And uh, system is clear. If uh, you know what you're doing, it's easy to get in. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And, and again, uh, I face challenge, like I said, a big, huge one uh, four years ago. That's why I decided to run. Mm -hmm. And... And, and, you know, I, as soon as I'm in the office, I'll be writing a book, okay? So <laughs> people awesome. can see that how I'm still alive, number one. Yeah. Number two is still keeping a dignity and keeping this work going on, you know. Mm -hmm. And and not only Zamsop doing work here, because we serve Indian Pakistani community. So I do, uh, I went uh, four years ago to India and Pakistan, created another branch of Zamso Community Resource Center. We are serving humanity, like I said, no matter where you're from, you know, if God, it's just like God providing path, you just walk on it. If you really want to work and see everything positive, and I always, uh, being a positive person, you know, I never think I can work negativity, but again, what we're going to gain out right. of it, nothing, you know, so I just keep forgetting whatever happened, happened, just keep moving forward with your positive attitude and anything is possible, especially in America. Mm. I think and I'm happy to be here and lucky to be here. Oh, I think that is a great, uh, that is a great um, finale, a great closing thought. And I want to ask you to share with the uh, with the Radio Islam listeners um, any information, social media, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, anything like that that uh, that you want to share, where folks can keep up with the uh, with the campaign, uh, get information, uh, support, whatever. So I'd like to go ahead and give you the opportunity to share that information uh, now. Okay, wonderful. Uh, again, my name is Zehra Kadri, a candidate of 50th Ward Alderman, and hashtag 6.62 for positive change. And uh, my name is Zehra, Z-E-H-R-A. Last name is Kadri, Q-U-A-D-R-I. And website is ZehraKadri.com. And telephone number is 224-428-5291. Telephone number is again 224-428-5291. I'll be very happy uh, if I can receive telephone calls uh, from volunteers. You know, we can go ahead and make a history. And again, we can move forward. Uh, like, you know, we have new governor. We're mm -hmm. going to have a new mayor. We have in our area a uh, new senator, new state trap. And it's time to be... Uh, you know, for me to get in as a new alderman in 50th Ward. All so right. my yes, my request <laughs> is to keep me in your prayers and please support us by donating a small dollar amount as well as volunteering your time. Thank you. Okay. Well, Zahra, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you as uh, as we get closer, and we'll be we'll be watching. So. Uh, and you also have a Facebook page as well. That's correct? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to uh, talk to us at Radio Islam. And um, we are praying for the best for you. Thank so, you very much. All right. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. All right, folks. That was Zahra Qadri, uh, candidate for the 50th Ward automatic seat here in Chicago. We're going to take a short break and we will return with some commentary on on a pretty colorful issue. All right. This is Radio Islam on WCV 1450 AM. We'll be right back.
All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you wanna give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we're helping to stop food waste. Save the food. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we are still broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And you can also catch up with us by following the podcast. So if you miss us on the radio or the live stream, you can always go back to wherever you get your podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, and you will find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks, um, I think I'm fighting a cold now. Um, but before we went to break, I said that we were going to get into a bit of colorful commentary. And that was probably a poor choice of words, because actually what we're talking about here is black and white and really not just black and white. We're talking about black, uh, in particular, black face. Right. There's recently. See, how I did that. Hope you like that. Uh, but there was recently a um, a poll that was uh, that indicated that about a third of Americans uh, agree or feel that blackface is sometimes okay for Halloween costumes. Now, this is according to the Pew Research Center uh, that that gave the poll, and this is this is telling. This is telling. Uh, this is concerning, um, and it's probably got some folks worried, and it's probably ha it probably has other people saying, "Well, I'm not surprised at all." Uh, because there's a great segment of the population, um, as far as African-Americans are concerned, that don't feel that the needle has really moved uh, in a positive direction when it comes to sensitivity towards uh, black identity, uh, sensitivity towards the black experience, right? Uh, you know, in the United States. There are a lot of folks who just feel that not much has changed and it's very difficult to refute that when we look at some of the uh some of the issues that we are still still dealing with today uh and whether that we're talking about unemployment the wealth gap uh police violence you know um so on and so on housing you know there are many issues that we can look at that indicate that we may not be as advanced as the calendar says we are right so anyway as far as this blackface poll is concerned, this is important on a number 
for a number of reasons. Now, first, it's important to mention that this poll was uh, conducted or the survey was conducted before the whole Virginia um, blackface thing, you know, blew up before we found out that the newly elected, I shouldn't say, yeah, newly elected governor, Ralph Northam, um, had a picture of two white guys uh, in his medical yearbook, medical school yearbook, one of them uh, in blackface and the other with a KKK uniform on. Now, initially, he said that he was the guy in blackface and he apologized. Right. Sorry. You know, party foul. Right. Didn't mean to do it. It was it was it was just just having some fun, just fun. And that's all. Uh, and then two days later or so, he says it wasn't him and that he is not going to resign because, you know, he got all these cries for his resignation. And between or as the, the, the cries for his resignation pop up, then we hear uh, we hear reports of sexual assault allegations against the number two elected official against the lieutenant governor. And then we find out uh, that the number three guy, the attorney general, that he also has admitted to dressing in blackface. Right. So, uh, you know, just a just a real cluster, you know, just a real cluster going on. And of course, nothing is by coincidence in politics. Uh, uh, nothing is by coincidence in politics. So we're going to leave that alone. We'll leave that. We'll leave it alone. Uh, but what we are going to look at is we're going to look at. Uh, first of all, the, the, the damage and the threat of both of these images, right? The first, the guy in blackface, right? This is, this is obviously, uh, this is a mockery. Uh, it is a degradation and it is a dismissal of the humanity of African-Americans. Uh, and the, 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 the cruel and the ugly history of blackface in, in the United States, uh, it may not be something that all of our uh, that our population that our society in general is as aware of today as they might have been 30 years ago right because as time goes on we have a way of losing a bit uh, especially for those things that we are not uh, those lessons that we are not given with repetition right because it's not enough to hear about something once that doesn't really make it stick. The things that we hear about on a regular basis, these are the things that stay with us. And maybe 30 years ago, maybe 40 years ago, blackface would have been something that it would have really, there may have been more folks who, re, who are really aware of the history of it. I think now it is much more just about the gall, the audacity of, you know, of a white person to dress themselves up like that because there is, it's, it's obviously, you know, just on a gut level, you realize this is not, uh, this is not somebody paying, uh, paying respects. This is not somebody paying homage to, uh, to me as an African-American. This is a, a mockery, right? So that's not acceptable, right? Uh, we, we haven't, we're not that far away from, uh, from uh, from these minstrel shows, uh, from Amos and Andy, we're not that far away from that. That uh, we don't still have enough people who really recognize what's being said when folks, uh, when white folks dress up in blackface, right? So we haven't got to that point. But also as important is that KKK member that's beside the guy in blackface in this in uh, Northam's medical school yearbook, and that that guy. That guy in the KKK uniform, that's that represent, representation of America's own domestic uh, domestic terrorist organization, right? That is responsible for the deaths of thousands, of thousands of African-Americans. That is responsible for the loss of life and property that has uh, that has worked fervently to take away the uh the the opportunities for liberty for freedom to take away african-americans um opportunity to benefit from the work 
from their own from their own labor. Right. They've done everything that they could to keep African-Americans in a second class uh, status. So that's that that's really, you know, smiles or or placid expressions or whatever. The picture itself is hate speech. Right. The picture itself is hate speech. And both of those images are as damaging uh, to the psyche of of African-Americans as are, you know, as you know, as as the other. Right. Neither one is is better than the other. And when I say damaging, not that, you know, folks are going to crawl up and, you know, and, and, you know, curl up in a ball and uh, and go mute and, you know, become non-functional. No. But what I mean, collectively, what those two what those two images represent for black people, for African-Americans, it is one of degradation, of humiliation, of denial of humanity, and so on. So that's something that's really important uh, to talk about in this particular month, because it's not just enough for us, to, for, you know, people to get up in arms and say, resign, resign, resign. You got to remember, if you got a poll like this and you got people that are saying that, uh, I think it's okay to dress up like this for Halloween. What that really shows is that there is a there is a lack of social and emotional sensitivity. Point blank. Not to say that these are even bad people, but there is a lack, a clear lack of social and emotional sensitivity. And you know what can help that? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. History. Real history can help with that. And not a history that is just a one-off, a one-page, but a repetition, a learning that attaches itself to the, uh, to, to, to the whole person. A learning that attaches itself to the sensitivities that allows people to feel, um, to feel some shame. Right? And that's really what we're missing. It's not guilt, right? People talk a lot of time about, you know, white guilt. It's not guilt we need. It's, it is shame because shame is that thing that actually puts, pushes you to change, right? Because when you're ashamed of something, you don't, you don't want to be in a position to have to, uh, to feel that again. You don't want to do anything that puts you in that same type of, uh, uh, same type of state. So here we are in Black History Month. That's right. We're in Black History Month and the problem that or there's a problem and a solution here. The, the, the problem is that if non-African-Americans go into this month and particularly we're talking about the educational system, if they go into this month and they are learning, uh, they, they're getting that carefully curated uh, collection of black history facts that may talk about inventions uh, that may talk about uh, Madam C.J. Walker being the first uh, black millionaire that may talk about the traffic light being made or the ice cream uh, scoop or, uh, or or any other number of inventions. Right. It really doesn't do it. it that month is not going to have the type of effect that learning that information doesn't have the type of effect that's going to actually put white people in a position where that history does them, uh, it enables them a deeper social and emotional connection or an awareness of the history of black people. Really all it says, okay, well, I didn't know that they invented this, they invented that. Okay, that's fine. Now that's beneficial for African-Americans, especially for those who, uh, for those who are not aware of the contributions that have been made by African-Americans to society. Right. That's a great thing to know. It's a great model. You get to see oh, they did it. I can do it, too. But when it comes to white people, right, our white brothers and sisters and how they engage Black History Month and how this can help with something like the the the, the belief that it's OK to put on blackface. Right. Well, a third of the folks think it's OK. Their engagement has to be one where they talk about the other side of black history, the pain and the oppression that has been heaped upon African-Americans by the white establishment. I'll give you two, two 
quick and easy. Well, I'll go three. First of all, let's go to Ida B. Wells and the work that she did in chronicling uh, lynching victims throughout the South, right? Thousands and thousands, right? That's a great place to start. Second place, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street, as Booker T. Washington called it. Uh, over 10,000 people were left homeless, hundreds, uh, and in some estimates, some folks say there, there are thousands, but, you know, they always go low. Hundreds, hundreds of African-Americans were massacred by their white neighbors, right, a town over. Or they came from all around to, you know, they wanted to get in on it. Uh, number three, the massacre in Elaine, Arkansas. Uh, and, and this is probably one of those uh, th those lesser known or lesser talked about ones. Uh, and this is where sharecroppers, they decided that they were going to stand up for themselves and, uh, and, and push back against the abusive system that kept them tied to the land, that kept them from making a profit. Uh, and they said, and then they formed themselves a union. And the result was hundreds were killed, some by law enforcement, some by soldiers that were, were called out and many more by uh, uh, surrounding uh, whites and surrounding areas that came there with the determination to kill, to take life. I mentioned these three, these, these, these three areas, these three things. I think these are the kind of things that are necessary for people, uh, for white people in particular, to be acquainted with, to realize that th there is a deep, there, there is a deep sickness that has existed uh, and that the KKK and blackface, these are both things that are emblematic. They are representative of that sickness. And that they speak to this history of oppression, this history of violence, of exploitation against the African-American in the United States. And for that, as a person who benefits from that system, a person who gets to be an individual and is not burdened by the actions of of others for that there should be a sense of shame right a shame at the past at what has happened in the past and that shame not you know not on an individual basis but a shame that to a degree you know you, you can't do anything about how you come into this world right but you can certainly do something about what you do while you're here so i'm going to close with this if Ralph Northam thinks that he doesn't have to resign, that it's okay, right? This falls into the whole idea of black deference, right? It goes back to those slave codes where even if you were being attacked, that you were not allowed to, legally, you were not allowed to uh, stand up for yourself. You're not allowed to defend yourself. You could be hanged for striking a white person in defense of your own God-given body, Right? But there's a there's a difference that is expected on behalf of African-Americans in these United States. There is an expectation of turning the other cheek. Right. And this is a much longer conversation. But if Colin Kaepernick can lose his job for kneeling. Right. For kneeling. Then why do you think? Why? What makes you think? I mean, good guy or not, changed or not, what makes you think that you should still be serving in the highest elected office in the land, in the state of Virginia, and you have already, and you have been shown, you have demonstrated that you are emotionally, socially oblivious, immature, at best, at best, and I don't have to say at worst, I don't have to say the worst part, but either way, there's a lot of jobs that you could do, but being governor should not be one of them under no circumstances. So that is it. Uh, that is it. Hopefully, hopefully we can use the remainder of this month, uh, this shortest month of the year, this uh, yeah, I could really go on and on about this one, but uh, hopefully we can use the remainder of this month to sensitize ourselves uh, properly and whether it be to tap into the achievements or to tap into that pain. Either way, maybe both. Um, but it's an important it's an important and a needed step 
so we can get to a point where as a society we have the emotional sensitivity where when that kind of a pew that that type of a uh, uh survey comes around it comes back where no one says that it's okay because they recognize the pain that's associated with that all right folks we're going to take a quick break but we will be back in a moment this is radio islam on wceb 1458 you might know me i'm 50 cent you may follow my tweets my facebook friends odds are a few in six degrees separate us we're that close what's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from these are your co-workers your neighbors your friends hunger's too close for us to ignore so visit feedinamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And also subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. You will find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family. Um, we don't have much time left, but I didn't want to uh, leave without at least broaching the subject of uh, Ilhan Omar, uh, Minnesota Congresswoman, who has been under fire. Um, she's been accused of of using or, or playing into into uh, anti-Semitic tropes uh, by her response to Kevin McCarthy, who. Uh, who has been attacking her as well as uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib about their support of the BDS movement. Uh, that is the boycott, divest, uh, and, and sanctions, um, uh, which is in response to the, uh, the, the, the treatment that the Palestinians are receiving uh, at the hands of the um, Israeli government. Now, Many people recognize that to be an apartheid state, uh, a, a space where uh, unequal treatment is the reality, um, where Palestinians are denied, not only denied uh, the rights of their Israeli counterparts, but they are also uh, the victims of violent, uh, violent oppression. Um, but that's not what we're really going to jump into right now. What we want to really get into just a bit, and we're going to be bringing this up again. As a matter of fact, uh, I was talking with Ibrahim, and uh, we said we really got to talk about this a little bit more at length. But I just wanted to at least just to recognize it, uh, because the label of anti-Semitism, right, it is such a powerful, uh, it is such a powerful label. It is, su- it is such a powerful uh, accusation. Uh, and it carries a lot of emotion. It carries a lot of pain and a lot of, uh, and dare I say, a lot of shame that goes along with that. And a part of that shame is we know the United States turned away uh, a, a, a ship full of refugees, Jewish uh, refugees, people that were trying to escape the violence that was taking place. Uh, in Germany and they were turned away they were not given asylum and that is something that I think that has haunted the at the very least the as, as, a, as a government right it has haunted the consciousness of the government uh, to realize that as a government we were not there for those who were in need and uh, and unfortunately those people paid for that callousness and that disregard uh, with their lives. So that shame, that regret, um, coupled along with um, with years and years of very intentional education, uh, including the Jewish Holocaust uh, in the educational curriculum of schools across the country, um, having discussions, uh, uh, memorializing it in film, you know, movies like Schindler's List, um, that 
that that gave a portrait of a, a people that had been stripped away, uh, who you know who had their humanity uh, stripped away from them, and who were victims of that state, the state that we look to as citizens, right? Wherever we are, we look to the state generally as a as a as a source of protection. And when you become the target of the state, when you become the one that is blamed for everything, when you become the uh, butt of all jokes and you become the heel uh, that is, you know, that, that that's that's in everybody's uh, sights. Uh, you become the one that's hated. That is, you know, that's a nightmare. Right. It is a nightmare. And, you know, as a, as an African-American, it is not something that is 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 foreign, you know, by any means. Right. Because we know, you know, that there's a history that we have here where, you know, a sustained history, you know, across, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but that being said. There's a sensitization that has taken place and a, a hypersensitivity. I would almost say where because of that pain, because of that shame and because of uh, knowing the dangers that come along with buying into uh, characterizations of of any group of people, but in particular the Jewish people. But these characterizations that allow for people to see them as one dimensional, to see them all as, you know, see them as simply money, uh, money grubbing, um, selfish uh, manipulative, you know, uh, you know, and just keep adding on whatever negative, uh, descriptors that you would expect to go along with, uh, those who look at, uh, those of the Jewish faith as, as the enemy, right? You just, just whatever, whatever those descriptors are, right? We know that there is a danger that comes along with allowing coded language, right? It's not necessarily out front, but you know, but you you can tell us underneath. This is it's under the uh, the layer. Um, there's a danger in not addressing those things. So I do understand that sensitivity and that awareness. I get it. I get it. But let's let's at least be mature enough to recognize the truth, the reality that money in politics, money affecting politics is not a figment of our imagination, that it is very real, that we know that Washington, D.C. is littered with lobbyists, and lobbyists, lobbyists in some cases might be a bit too dignified a term. And really what we're talking about is we got, we got folks who are bribing our elected officials, and they are doing so because they are there to promote private interest. They are not there for the public interest. They are, they are there for the private interest. And for every PAC that we have, whatever their origins, those PACs are there to uh, advocate on behalf of their particular issues. They are not there to advocate on behalf of all issues. They're not there for all uh, for all people. They are there for very specific, very specific uh, purposes. So when Ilhan Omar pointed out Kevin McCarthy's resistance towards her, her attacks or the, the attacks that she has endured by him and said that it was about the money because he was beholden to campaign donations that had been uh, given to him by who? By APAC. Then I don't think that that is anti-Semitism. I don't see how that's playing into a trope because this is a very specific uh, point. We're talking about the BDS uh, movement. And we're talking also about um, uh, the fact that there's been legislation crafted across the country where uh, uh, BDS has basically been outlawed. So here we have a question. Who are the people that are advocating um, on behalf of anti-BDS legislation? Who are the people that are advocating that the United States adopt a, uh, a position towards Israel that, that says turn a blind eye towards its humanitarian abuses? Uh, towards the Palestinian uh, population. Who are the people here interacting with our government officials that would be the advocates of those types of positions? And who are the people, who are the, the organizations that are going to fund, that are going to give money, give their financial support to make sure that that is the reality? 
Now, is it anti-Semitic to say that APAC fits that bill? Absolutely not. I think you'd be, you'd, you know, it's, it's immature for us to think otherwise. It has nothing to do with painting our Jewish brothers and sisters in general as uh, in any type of negative light. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It is a statement of the political reality that political stances do not manifest out of anywhere. They don't manifest out the ether. That our political climate today, it demands that we look to see where, where are these positions coming from. We have so few politicians that we can have the confidence in when they speak to know that they are speaking from a point of a, a true interest in justice, a true in interest in, in, in doing the right thing. And that they are not simply there taking positions that are favorable to those people who have written out checks. So it doesn't matter who writes the check, right? Whether it's Big Pharma, whether it's um, it's energy or whether it's APAC, whether it's those who are lobbying on behalf of Israel, whether it's, you know, looking for a particular position from, from the United States government, from our elected officials. So it really doesn't matter. So I think we're going to be talking about this more. But this idea that every single mention of a Jewish organization uh, to, and to, to couple that with money, that that in itself meets the criterion for anti-Semitism. It is weak, it is tired, and it does not do justice to the real presence of anti-Semitism, the real expressions of anti-Semitism uh, that, that exist in today's time of such polarization and such division. So we need to, you know, people have to really check themselves on that. They, they throwing that around as if, you know, just, just throwing, throwing stuff on the wall and seeing what sticks and waiting for an apology. But let's deal with the, the real reality money. It is a ever present fact and reality in our politics. And that is something that we have to deal with. And we also have to deal with the fact that our elected officials are here to serve the American public, their constituency. It does not do justice to the fact that there is, there are real elements, real expressions of anti-Semitism uh, that are present in our nation today. There are real expressions of anti-blackness of islamophobia um of you know just so many so many uh ideologies that put vast segments of our population down uh degrade them debase them so that's a problem right this word cannot just be thrown around uh, and i think in my estimation that is where we are and i think we are worse off for it uh and it, it does not allow us to adopt uh, principal postures on on issues. It does not allow us for to. Uh, it does not allow for us to deal with uh, concerns uh, at their core, and it is used more so as a diversion. And I applaud those our Jewish brothers and sisters, especially those who have taken to Twitter to uh, who have come to uh, Elhan Omar's defense and says that no, she did not say anything wrong, and that was not anti-Semitic. So. Anyway, we're going to pick up this conversation. We're actually going to we're going to probably going to spend a whole program on it, and uh, we'll we'll talk about this more because it's something that we do need to talk about and to do it with sensitivity and looking for the best outcome. Uh, and justice is always first and foremost at the uh, on, on our list of outcomes that we're looking for: justice and truth. So, right, that's that's the uh, supposed American way, right? That's what we that's what we're here for. All right, folks, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us for another episode of Radio Slam. I'm your host and producer Tariq Alamine. We thank our engineers over at WCEB. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid, and we remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, good people, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.